Well, it's my privilege to introduce to you now our speaker this morning. This is the third of three RUF campus ministers that we are having here here at the start of the year. Something intentional that we as the elders wanted to do starting 2017 and putting before you some of our missionaries just to sort of set the tone for uh, this upcoming year. Sam Taff is uh, campus minister, Reform University Fellowship, RUF, as is affectionately known as there at MTSU, Middle Tennessee State University down in Murfreesboro. Um, just say something real quick ab about that. Sam, is, uh, every, as all the campus ministers are in our, uh, with RUF, or is a member of the Nashville Presbytery, at least these guys are, and uh, that makes that points to the uniqueness of Reform University Fellowship, among other campus ministries. It's not just their, their mission, which is unique, uh, to reach students for Christ and to equip students to serve, but also the manner in which they go about it by sending these uh, licensed and ordained campus ministers, uh, seminary trained, uh, in partnership with a larger presbytery. And that's, uh, that's what Sam is doing. And he's down there at MTSU, been there how many years? Four feels like 14. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, come on up here. Thanks, Sam. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's welcome this guy. Yeah. Thanks for hey, it's great to be with you all again. Uh, I was here this summer, and uh, time's flown since by then. We've had another child since then. Um, I try and have a child in between all my visits to Falk School, so um, my wife has them. I just uh, do what I can to help, but... Um, they're sick at home. Uh, they wanted to come because this church has loved us so well. And um, but my wife's at home with two sick boys, one healthy one. Um, but we are really grateful for this church, and I really always enjoy coming up and preaching the word with you uh, this morning. We're going to be in one of my favorite passages. Uh, it's one of my favorite passages for a number of reasons. It's a reminder of God's promises and how He fulfills His promises way back. In Abraham, uh, when God co comes to him and says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Um, and then Jesus continues that promise and says, I want you to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go therefore to all nations, baptizing, making disciples. And this passage, in a lot of ways, is the beginning of that fulfillment. Because you really are here in Philip, meaning this Ethiopian eunuch, seeing the gospel go way beyond geographic bounds that it's seen before. Uh, I also love this passage, too, because it's just such a simple, clear example of what ministry is like. Oftentimes when people ask me, you know, what do you do in ministry? What are you doing with RUF? I, I often bring them to this passage because it's such a clear picture of, of just what ministry is. You see Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch reading the Bible together, to be transformed by Jesus. If you want the simple thrust of what's going on uh, in this passage, that's what's going on. You have two men reading the Bible together, uh, and they're transformed, one of them for the first time. And so if you would, read with me. I'm going to read <clears throat> Acts chapter 8. I'm going to start in verse 26, and I will give you a heads up when I'm preaching. There's a lot in this passage, and one of the things I'm not going to be preaching on is verses 39 and 40, Philip being carried away. Just as a heads up, that's a strange, those are two strange verses. I'm not exactly sure, and I read a lot of people as to what's going on. Is Philip physically transported? Is this a miracle? Is this like Elijah? Is this some sort of like crazy, like he was physically transported up in the sky and over there? We don't know. But um, 
Austin Royals often have a Bible study on that passage after today. So <clears throat> if you don't have Super Bowl plans, you can meet him uh, tonight. I'm just kidding. But I just wanted to give you a heads up on that. Um, let me read for us Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and, eunuch saw him, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through... He preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let me pray for us. Father, uh, Lord, we're grateful that uh, in a world that is uh, unstable, uh, with people that are unstable, uh, Lord, in a world with broken promises, with people who often don't keep their promises, uh, Father, that you keep all of your promises. And Lord, actually, you say in your word that all of your promises are yes and amen in Jesus. And so, Father, we're thankful this morning for Jesus. We're thankful for your faithfulness. We're thankful that you go after lost causes and lost sheep as we read here in this passage. God, as we read this, we pray that uh, we too, like this eunuch, would be transformed, that we would leave rejoicing knowing you and trusting you more and more. Father, pour out your spirit this morning as we read your word. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. I read an article a few months ago about uh, a former Harvard student, Jordan Mong. Mong or Mong, I'm not how, I'm sure how you pronounce her name. but um, She went to Harvard in 2008, and uh, Jordan grew up, her whole life, for, for mostly as long as she could remember, as an atheist or agnostic. By the time she was 11, she says she was full-blown atheist and the type of atheist that wanted uh, to bother Christians, so much so that she said a Christian boy in her class threatened to come to her house and shoot all the atheists. So she was very vocal. Uh, she was very sure about what she believed, and she went to Harvard that way. And uh, there, during her uh, freshman, sophomore year, met a Christian guy, and they started debating one day in class, and that carried over to some email conversations, and uh, over the course of a few months, 
Uh, he just graciously responded to her questions. Uh, she had real questions. She thought Christians had not thought about these things. And uh, they struck up a friendship in which he introduced her uh, to Scripture and to people who had thought about these questions. And in that process, uh, she was converted. It's pretty neat. She says this. She said, um, she talks about one of the things that convicted her the most was the fact that I had failed to adhere to my own ethical standards filled me with deep regret. Isn't that true of so many of us? We have these ethical standards that, that we actually fail to adhere to, which leads to a lot of our regret and shame. And then she says, yet I could do nothing to right these wrongs. The cross then no longer looked merely like a symbol of love, but like the answer to an incurable need. When I read the crucifixion scene in the book of John for the first time, I wept. I confess, when I read stories like that, in fact, I went to seminary with a guy with a pretty similar, uh, slightly less dramatic conversion story like this. But I confess, when I read stuff like that, I'm surprised. I am. You know, we, we think, we look at certain people, whether we know them or we see them on TV or we hear about them, and we think, man, there's no way God could change them. Uh, they're so set in their ways, or they're so lost, or they're so sad, or they're so broken. There's nothing they can do. There's nothing God can do. And we give up. And yet, all throughout Scripture, you have people that God works in that no one expects him to work in. If you read the Old Testament, countless examples, people like Naaman, people like King Darius. Jesus spends his time hanging out with lost causes. Zacchaeus, the woman at the well, other people of ill repute that didn't, that didn't attract a crowd. In fact, they often drove crowds away. Jesus went to these people. Oftentimes he healed them physically, uh, but their hearts changed. He changed their hearts. That's what Jesus is in the business of doing. And after Jesus ascends, this ministry continues. And that's, that's really what the book of Acts is about. Is it's about the continuing ministry of Jesus after he ascends, of, of Jesus bringing people to himself. And that included people uh, beyond his original audience. And, and that was kind of hard for some of his followers to accept. You can read um, Galatians 2. Peter had a hard time with this. Uh, you can read in just two chapters before this in Acts 6 there was real conflict about who are we going to let in? What, what kind of sacrifices do they have to make? What kind of practices do they have to give up to be like us? To look like us? And that was often the temptation was to be a Christian, to follow Jesus. You kind of had to look like us and do the things we do. And so there was real conflict. There was real decisions to be made in the early church as to what that looked like. And so it was often with resistance, actually, the disciples' resistance that the gospel went forth. Uh, but here you have an example of just that happening. God continues to like literally push them out. Here you have the Spirit saying, Philip, go to that person. Um, it's not Philip coming up with this idea. Philip, God is telling Philip, go. Go to that Ethiopian. Go to that, go to that chariot right there um, and strike up a conversation with them. This in and of itself, j just the, the mere fact actually that those two were in the same chariot together is remarkable. 
this man that God tells Philip to go to is an Ethiopian, much different culture. Uh, tells us he's a court official, he's the treasurer, he's got way more money than Philip. He's on different social and economic plateaus altogether. He's a eunuch, which means he was sexually altered. He was castrated, which meant he was ceremonially unclean, uh, which then, according to Old Testament law, would have made Philip ceremonially unclean. And so it was strange, and it's remarkable that they even ended up in the chariot together. Some of you have people like Jordan, that girl I read about at the beginning, uh, where you think, I'd love for that person to come to know Jesus, but they would never, they would never want to come to church. Right? They would never even want to talk about anything religious. They don't care. Uh, the person for Philip is probably not too dissimilar for this Ethiopian. I mean, if you were going to tell Philip, you know, who's a Greek Jew, Hey, you know, these are the types of people that are going to be a part of, of this growing following of Jesus. This guy is probably not first on the list. Um, he's ceremonially unclean. He's from 1,500 miles away, different race, different ethnicity, different language. There are so many barriers here, and yet this is precisely who Jesus is going after. This is precisely who G Jesus sends Philip to. And Philip goes. Philip obeys. And, and that really is, in and of itself, a miracle and a blessing. And it's one of the ways we know God is at work, even in our own lives. Well, one of the signs you'll notice that, that God is at work or he's changing you is that some of the people who used to bug you to the point that you wouldn't associate with them, you now begin to maybe be okay hanging out with or maybe now you uh, find yourself in the same circles with and you don't grow as frustrated with or maybe you actually even invite them to lunch because you realize you might be able to learn something from them one of the signs the gospel is at work Paul says in Ephesians is that walls get torn down barriers get torn down all sorts of walls and barriers racial ethnic religious one of the signs that the gospel is at work in our lives is that we go out. We go out with the gospel. And that's what's going on here in this passage. But look, if we're honest, that's hard. <laughs> like, the people I just described are not people we want to go out with. You know, we don't want to go and spend time with them. And so, how does that happen? I remember hearing a pastor at a missions conference talk about the reasons we have trouble having these types of conversations. And I, I never really kind of, we often think of like, there's so many, and there are, there are a lot of reasons, but he basically boiled it down to this. The reason we don't do that is because we've made the center of our identity something other than the gospel. Isn't that true? Because when, when something other than the gospel is at the center of our identity, then we are naturally going to look down upon people. You know, if we if we make our identity our intelligence, or uh, you know, our wealth or our social skills, then we're going to look down on people who are not as smart, who don't read the types of books and magazines as we do. Uh, we're not. We're going to look down on people who don't seem to be as doing well financially. Um, we'll look down on people who don't. You know, if 
listen to or watch the same news outlets than we do. And 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 these things, it's you know, it seems funny, but it's but those things are actual barriers. And so, how is the only? How can we go beyond those? Because some of those are really good things, and and they are important. But but how do we get beyond that? Because if we are honest here this morning, there's probably people who really are hard, and it's like, okay, I want to say I want them to know the gospel. Maybe if you're being honest, you can't even say that. Maybe they really are that hurtful to you, uh, or maybe you think they've caused that much damage in your family or your circle of friends. The amazing thing about the gospel is that it's by grace. You know, Paul says it's by grace that you've been saved. So what it does is it just sweeps all of our crutches, everything that we're placing our identity in, it just, it just knocks them out from under us, doesn't it? It really does. We've been saved by grace, through faith, not by works, so that no man can boast. Many of you have heard that verse a lot, and I have too. But that really does change everything, doesn't it? Because what that means is that our goodness can't get us in, and our badness can't leave us out. So it changes the way we view other people, because we know we have not been saved by our goodness, or our smarts, or our intelligence, or our great choices. We've been saved by grace. And that impacts the way we go out. Because if it's not our goodness that gets us in, then it's also not their badness that prohibits them from being offered the gospel. It's a free offer. So we're able to go forth in confidence. We're able to go forth knowing that God is at work, that he's gone before us into people like this eunuch. Um... Again, for Philip, this would have been really hard. For, you, for the eunuch, this probably would have been strange. Remember, he's been sexually altered. For a, he didn't just do this for you know, no reason. One, one of the reasons people became eunuchs back then was to show their devotion to a king or queen. And so he's Ethiopian, and, and he said, I, I want to be a court official. Okay, you want to do that? Well, show us how loyal you are to this. Okay, I'm going to become a eunuch. And you know what? That sounds crazy to us, but it's paid off for him. He's actually worked his way up to treasure. It says he's, he's in charge of all the money of the queen of Ethiopia. That was not insignificant. This man now had a lot of power. He had a lot of influence, and he controlled a lot of money. And yet, you know, it's funny. We, we don't know a ton about this man, but we do know this. The power, the money... And the influence were not necessarily doing it for this man. He knew there was more. He was thirsting for more than power, comfort, riches, and influence. Why else in the first century would you travel 1,500 miles from Ethiopia to Jerusalem in a chariot, which is extremely uncomfortable. But by those standards, it was probably much more comfortable than the way most people traveled. Nevertheless, that's a huge sacrifice. It would have taken months to do. We don't know if this man knew a little bit about God or was already following God, but we knew this. He had a lot, and he wasn't satisfied with it. He wanted more, and so he comes to Jerusalem. But you know what's interesting? He would have come to Jerusalem and come to the temple 
He's not a Hebrew. He may have considered himself a Jew, but regardless, he was a eunuch. So, so at, at the very least, he would have had to worship in the court of Gentiles. But also, he probably would have been considered ceremonially unclean. And so here's this man who traveled 1,500 miles, months, and now comes to Jerusalem to worship God and finds that he's got kind of two strikes going against him. That must have been awfully discouraging, maybe even maddening for this man. In the temple, there was a hierarchy to, to, to show the holiness of God. And this man is coming face to face with his sin. He's coming face to face with his own sin. He was accomplished and powerful, but now, now, he, now he's an outsider looking in. And that has been true of me in my own life. It might be true of you this morning where we really do think there are certain things about me or about you that disqualify you from becoming a Christian. You might come to church, but you might be dealing with stuff. Maybe it's something about you. Maybe it's something you've done in your past that you haven't told anyone about. Maybe it's something that you did last night that no one knows about or something that you've said that we can make us feel like we're disqualified from Christian fellowship. Certainly, this eunuch dealt with that to some degree, which is amazing because he opens up Isaiah 53. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear was silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And he's like, Who, who's he talking about? Is he talking about the writer? Or is he talking about someone else? And Philip goes on to tell him the good news about Jesus. I don't know this eunuch's name. Mr. Ethiopian eunuch. This means that Jesus actually was treated like a sheep and led out to the slaughter. He took on your shame and your guilt so that you could be welcomed in. He tore down the curtain of the temple so that those who are unclean could be clean. And you know what's even more amazing too is we don't know how big this scroll or, or whatever it is that he's reading was, but likely it included at least Isaiah 53 and probably Isaiah 56 as well, which says this, it's in your note on the back of your outline. It says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. That might have been what was going through this eunuch's mind. He's a foreigner. He's a eunuch. And then it goes on to say, And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. That is good news. That is really good news for a eunuch who traveled 1,500 miles. And he says, Amen. Let's go get baptized. You know, he signed physically given to show the reality of the gospel washing away our sins and it says he went away rejoicing. I don't know 
what the things are withholding you from coming to Jesus this morning, of coming openly and honestly to him. I also don't know what things are in your life maybe that are withholding you from going to others with the good news of Jesus or going to others merely just as a, as a friend with the hope of one day sharing the gospel. What is it for you? I, I don't know. It, it does help to name it, though, uh, because the Bible is pretty clear that we can't be so arrogant to think that there is something in our life that is more powerful than the grace of God, which watches away all of our sins. Our God is a God who's in the business of going after lost people, of going after lost causes. Uh, that includes even people like Philip, even people like this eunuch, and even people like you and me. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful. We're so grateful for you and your goodness. We're grateful for your holiness and your righteousness. And yet, Lord, when we even dwell on who you are, and what you've done. Lord, it is overwhelming because immediately we come in to the reality that we are not those things. And so, Lord, we pray, we confess to you that we are not who we ought to be. We do not speak as we ought, think as we ought. We are not who we need to be. But by the grace of God, we are given a name better than sons and daughters. Father, we pray that this morning, that those whose faith is in you, Lord, that we would learn to live like that, that we would actually learn to live like sons and daughters, not those who've been cast off. Father, for those who don't know you this morning, uh, Lord, we pray right now, um, God, that this passage would be yet another reminder uh, that there is nothing that can disqualify us from hearing the gospel. Lord, might we drop our pretenses and trust in you more and more. We ask this by your Holy Spirit. Amen.